0: We all can be seated. Good morning. My name is Marty Scott, and I'm the Global pa- global Outreach Pastor here at Grace. And uh, what I love about that song, Is He Worthy, is it's a beautiful picture from Revelations 4 through 5. Uh, and it's this moment in the throne room in which Jesus Christ enters in, and, and everybody is worshiping him because he is worthy to open the scroll. And right after that, it says that um, the multitude are around him, worshiping him from every tribe tongue, and nation. And that's God's plan. That is what he's moving towards, and that is what our church gets to participate in and be a part of. And so this morning, uh, this weekend is Go Weekend, and it's an opportunity for our church to celebrate what God is doing around the world as you've seen over the last few months we commissioned students to go to Japan we've had families come up and pray in their different languages that the lord has brought the nations to college station and and then he's preparing us he's training us he's calling us to go And so here this morning, we are going to see um, what God is doing through Grace Bible Church, the ways that he's moving and working. And then our hope is that you begin to see uh, maybe God's role and God's place for you to participate in that. And so here today, we are going to have some of our friends come on up. And we are going to hear from them some of their experience with our church as they've gone on short-term trips, as they've prepared to go, or as they have been uh, kind of launched out to live their lives overseas. And so um, first, as we go down the line, I would just love it if you would introduce yourself and let us know what your missions experience has been here at Grace.
1: Hey, Marty. I'm Michael Meyer-Dirk. Uh My missions experience here at Grace is quite long. My parents actually went as missionaries, as goers, uh, in 1993 when I was an infant, and I'm actually now back on the field uh, with my wife and little kids who can't be here. They're back home in Slovakia.
2: My name is Brittany Horn. I'm the children's coordinator here at Grace currently, Um, but my missions experience here at Grace is I went on a short-term summer trip when I was a freshman in college, Um, and that was the first time I had ever met someone who had never heard the name of Jesus, and the Lord just captured my heart and um, really just gave me a passion for making sure that those who don't know him have a chance to get to know him.
3: I'm Ethan Horn, her, uh, her spouse. Um, I have served under Marty in the Global Outreach Department as a fellow for a little bit. Um, but now I just get to volunteer in some different ways and different activities Grace has going on.
4: I'm Allie Perulian. I um, am a sophomore in high school, and I've been on one trip with Grace Youth. Uh, we went to New York City over spring break. That's
0: great. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Allie, but Allie asked us not to sing Happy Birthday, but I thought maybe we could give a... Happy birthday, whoop, for Allie, because today is her birthday. So, yeah, whoop, there we go. See, we didn't sing, so. So typically, you know, we don't just decide one day like, all right, I'm going, let's go. But uh, usually it's a journey, right? And, and the Lord takes us on this journey. And over and over, I hear from uh, a lot of people, you know, Go Weekend was this first moment of my journey. But I'm not going to assume Go Weekend was. It'd be cool if it was in your answer. But um, kind of what was some of your first steps or those first moments where you heard about um, the nations, the Great Commission? And what did that look like for you?
4: Um, yeah, so I grew up in the church, so I've kind of been surrounded by Christ and all things um, about it, and I was kind of on and off until about the beginning of last year, where I just felt, like, really pushed and called, and I met a great community with, like, youth girls who are now some of my closest friends, and so kind of, like, going on the trip, it was pretty random. Um, Liz Kilpatrick um, just kept asking me, like, are you going to go, and every time she asked, I said yes without hesitation, but I'd never like really thought about going on the trip. Um, (laughs) So I ended up signing up and it ended up being like one of the greatest experiences that I've had.
3: Um, My going journey, I think, started uh, when Brittany actually got back from her trip and said, have you ever thought about going? And we were dating at the time, so that was a pretty serious question uh, at that point, um, and I hadn't. I grew up in a small Texas church, and um, we had a couple of people, you know, our goers who, who had been there for a while, and I had never even approached the question, so I remember that being kind of the, the moment the door cracked open for me, and a lot of uh, prayer and angst followed, but.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I went on that trip my freshman year, and the Lord just kind of captured my heart and um, told me that I was called to go, so that led to a lot of conversations with him, <laughs>
1: I grew up in the missions community, but I decided for myself to go, uh, really, for the first time in college, uh, realizing, OK, I'm, I this might be something I'm called to, not just something that I was experienced in my youth, but something that may be something long term. So in university, I went on summer mission trips.
0: Well, I mean, you knew Slovak, so. Y- it
1: helps. Yeah, it you're helped. ready to go.
0: Oh, you want to send, send the mic back down to Allie there. So Allie, you know, outside of Liz Badgering you over and over for years, kind of what what led to you finally making that decision, okay, I'm gonna go.
4: Um, just a lot of encouragement. Um, I knew a lot of people going and um it was kind of hard because I didn't know them very well, so I was a little hesitant, but just just really felt pushed and called to go, so I stuck with it and um and I met so many amazing people um during my time in New York, just on the team and other people too. So Yeah, just felt really called and pushed to go. That's
0: great. And what is one thing you learned about God or yourself while you were there?
4: I learned a lot of things about God and myself. Um, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me is just how intentional God is, um, just how perfect his plan is. And it's something um, we always hear, like God's plan is perfect, God's time is perfect. But it truly is, and just being able to experience that firsthand Um, Just seeing how he works through prayer, um, even the littlest prayer. Like, I hope this guy reads the book of John that we gave him. um, Or I hope um, this girl is open to hearing about the gospel the next day. And just seeing how he moves through those things and how, like, those prayers are truly answered.
0: And then how have things been different since you've returned home, since you've been here?
4: Yeah, um, I think it like just spending a week where everything is god-centered all other distractions are removed whether it's like school or just other stuff Um, just so just spending a week fully focused on god and um, sharing his word Um, so i think coming back it was hard because you have the you can hold these expectations on yourself to um, continue that same journey and not expect it to be any different but it is different because when you come back you all those other distractions and responsibilities come back to you so it's been different and it was hard but also just um since you spend those times and really just listening to god it's just been easier or not really easier but um more like it's i guess easier to just like listen t- to what he's saying and how he's calling you in like everyday life
0: that's great and i think It's easy to get stuck in our rhythms here and our habits here and oftentimes on short-term trips like that. You're removed from the habits. You're removed from the rhythms. And so you're able to build new ones and create new ones. That's great. Well, uh, Ethan and Brittany, um, y'all are in the middle of training and being prepared to go. So tell us kind of a little bit of the training process you've been going through as you prepare to move overseas.
2: Sure. Um, So yeah, I came back from that short-term trip and got plugged in with one of our mobilizers here at Grace and was like, hey, I think that the Lord is calling me to go tell other people about Jesus. What do I do now? Um, And so they got me connected with a multiply group and perspectives classes and things like that here at Grace. There are ways that I could learn more about what it would look like to actually share my faith here. Um, That way I can kind of start building those rhythms and working them into my life here. Um, and then after Ethan and I got married, we did a Go group here at Grace um, over the last year that has prepared us a lot and started just kind of cultivating our hearts and our rhythms and our minds now for what it could look like to serve on the field. You want to talk some? Too?
3: Yeah, I think maybe the only thing I would add is um, just kind of changing your mindset. It's like turning a ship, really, to start understanding how you might have a piece in the puzzle of what God is doing in the world to to share His name and His glory, um, and so in the midst of all the specific trainings and things that Grace offers and, and other uh, groups in the community offer, it's also just the, the personal kind of challenge to say, like, how do I understand myself that way? How do I start moving in that direction? Yeah.
0: And, and one of the beautiful things from them is over the last few years, they've continued to ask uh, he, he, how do we come alongside of grace, and how can grace come alongside of us in this process, and so um, to be able to say, like, we know that, that God is doing something, and this is my local church, and so really trying to figure out, like, what is our place within both God's plan, but as grace sends out what, what grace is doing, so um, it's been fun to walk with that through, through you too, so. All right. And Michael, you were not born on the field, but essentially born on the field and come up through it. So um, you have a lifetime of experience in Slovakia. How have you seen um, people change over, I don't know how many, 20 something years um, in their response to the gospel?
1: Yeah. So Europe in general, we consider the prodigal continent. So there was a time when it was the, the cradle of Christianity for like a thousand years. And now it's Solidly post-Christian, and so we used to be able to connect the dots for people, and they're like, "Oh, I get the gospel now." And now today, often it, we have to kind of help them find those dots, and uh, that's really a lot of the job is is helping people recognize, okay, you you've heard of Jesus, but let's actually find out who he actually is. And so people are becoming more honest. You know, if you want to put it in a more positive spin, is people you say, "Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm actually agnostic." Now they'll be like, no, I'm not actually a Christian. Like, okay, let's start there.
0: (laughs) So you and your family, you are working towards planting churches um, and and you shared a vision last night of all these different apartment buildings and wanting a kind of a home church in each one of those so that people can slip on their shoes and go hear the gospel. You used a word for that. Um, But how how challenging is it planting um, in another culture with another language, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, well, when so we do campus ministry and church planting and so with campus ministry english is actually a really great avenue with church planting you really need to know the language and to be uh, more ingrained and we say that the gospel moves at the speed of relationship and so Alyssa and i have been there for six years going on seven years and it's just in the last few months really we've seen people come to us and be like hey can you help me grow in this area can you help me uh, pursue spiritual growth and, and walking in my faith in a new way or uh, non-believers are opening up more to hearing from us. And so it's, it's a long process. It's, it's difficult, of course, to answer a question. It's, it's difficult. But it's, it's so rewarding to see uh, people who don't know anyone who follows Jesus come into a relationship where they're exposed to the gospel.
0: Well, Zach kind of introduced this, but what are some opportunities uh, that we have as a church to kind of come alongside of you and listen to your kids and kind of partner with you, participate with you, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, well, we have some trips coming up this coming summer for college students. Next summer of 25, we have an adult trip that we'd love for you to join us for. Uh, But you can be praying for us. Obviously, financial support is always welcome. Uh, But I was just, as I look across this room of so many people, you know, it, it, it means a lot for a goer to say, hey, you should go, or for a mobilizer to say, you should go. But if we could embrace the Great Commission together and look at each other and be like, hey, have you thought about going, like championing the Great Commission and advocating for missions amongst ourselves around dining room tables with our uh, colleagues and with our families, you can partner with what God's doing all around the world just by normalizing going and making it just a part of the Christian life.
0: Well, thank you for for sharing your experience. I know um, you have taken incredible steps of faith to just say yes to what God has for you, and and we appreciate and and just love being able to hear how God is um, working in you, but then working through you um, to to share His gospel. And so I'm going to pray for you and uh, and pray for this morning, and then we can head on down. So, Father, we thank you so much for. And just the ways that you work and the ways that you move, we're thankful for these four and just their willingness to say yes to you. Father, we pray for Michael and Alyssa that you would protect them and guide them as they continue to share and um, plant churches there uh, in Slovakia. Lord, we pray for the horns that you would continue to move and work in their own hearts as they prepare to go. And give them just continue to give them vision and direction for what's next. And Lord, we're thankful for Allie and just uh, the example that she sets for so many people of of um, hearing and hearing and then and being willing to say yes, okay, and uh, the life change that comes from that. Lord, we pray that you would speak and move through Guff this morning as he preaches, and we pray for our own hearts that we would be open and receptive to your word. We love you and it's in Christ's name we pray.
5: Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Chris McGuffey. I go by Guff most often, and I'm the pastor of ministry strategies here at Grace Bible Church. Most often hanging out on Sunday mornings over at Midtown, uh, or also helping out at our uh, partnership Chinese church, uh, helping to kind of do some teaching over there uh, on a few Sundays a year. It was on my very first trip to the USSR that I was placed on a team of 12 guys. The people in charge called it a scouting team, but that actually turned out to be code words for we have no idea where you're going, (laughs) literally. Uh, Our initial instructions were pretty clear in terms of packing. They said, if you can't pick it up and run with it for 100 yards, then don't bring it. So I remember uh, in terms of food, they said, we don't know if your train has anything to serve, so as you land in Moscow, it might be smart to pick up some bread and jam because the train ride is going to take a while. And I think back to myself now and think, that should have been some sort of sign (laughs) as to what we would experience. So in June of 1988, I landed in Moscow with 11 new friends that had been assigned to my team uh, with a backpack and a guitar. And we boarded a train for nine days that went across all 11 time zones of that massive communist country. There were so many amazing stories from that summer, but the ones that stick out to me uh, were really getting off of that train uh, in a town on the other side of Siberia called Khabarovsk. And it was one stop short of Vladivostok and the reason we didn't make it all the way across is because Americans weren't allowed to go into that town because that is where the Soviet submarine bases were kept. And it was in this town, Khabarovsk, that I gazed across the, uh, the Amur River into the Manchurian hills and wondered in the back of my mind what it might be like one day to serve in China. And just eight short years after that, I was done with seminary. I had already joined staff with crew and I was newly married. And my wife and I packed three bags to move into what would turn out to be one of the most fruitful ministries In modern missiological history. By the time we left 10 years later, we were certain of a few things that God had taught us. First is this that fruitfulness has absolutely nothing to do with our abilities, but it has everything to do with our availability. And the second thing is that God wanted us somehow to see something special and spectacular so that we would have an experience that we could steward for the rest of our lives into different places. Our lives took some funny uh, turns into our next assignment after China as we moved from one of the most fruitful fields to one of the more fruitless fields of Western Europe. You see, as we left our beloved role in China. We did so because there was a national staff who was ready to take over uh, the role that I had at that time uh, as a regional director, and I actually just needed to move out of the way so he would have a shot at leading this region. So Amy and I, now with the three kids that the Lord had given us, began to think about where else we could go, and we made a short list of criteria. We wanted a place that we could continue to pioneer in ministry. Romans 15, it had such a, a, an incredible weight uh, that it was heavy on my soul. And I still aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. And I wanted to go somewhere where I wasn't just building on another person's foundation. We wanted to stay committed to ministering on the gospel frontier in countries that Uh, where less than 2% of the overall population had an easy access to the truth of the gospel message. And we wanted a place to use our giftedness, connecting students in the U.S. to build strong and lasting partnerships of staff-directed and student-led ministries where national leaders could be raised. We wanted a place to steward the lessons that we had learned in China, Building a ministry that could be indigenously led to reach their own nation, and then one day to spill out to the nations that bordered them. And maybe on a little bit of a personal note and less spiritual, I wanted a place where there was good food and warm weather. So we took our boys out of their national school in China where they had started to actually excel in the Chinese language, and we hopped on a plane and we re-registered them in Greek public school as a kindergartner, as a first grader, as a second grader. And I still remember the first day of school in, in Athens, Greece, where we took our fellas down to the courtyard, and unbeknownst to us to have them blessed by an Orthodox priest holding an olive branch and holy water with all of the other neighborhood kids and turned them over to a school system that we actually knew very little about. My wife and I, we walked back to the house. We sat at our table, and I watched my wife cry for, for the next three hours, asking, what are we doing to our kids? But you have to understand something about my wife. She wasn't doubting our calling. She wasn't blaming me. She was all in. But she was wondering if the cost of following Christ into the hardest places on earth was going to bear positive spiritual results in what I call our primary disciples. And I knew spiritual And um, I I thank God every day uh, that she has been with me together as we have followed Jesus in every step of the calling that God has given us. I wish I had time to tell you of the ways, the many ways that God grew us as a family during those years and in those places, how my kids learned to love Jesus. Now all three of them are Texas Aggies. Two out, one still finishing, and they're considering about how the Lord may use them to build his kingdom. In so many ways, the journey in Greece was so much harder uh, than uh, where we left in China, where before we were seeing uh, sometimes up to 20% of the people that we would share the gospel with over a short amount of time, placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And when we moved to Greece, we would have the same conversations over the same strategies and saw almost none. I remember asking another fellow worker that was had been there a little bit longer than us. I said, hey, what is what is the percentage of, of Greek students that are coming to the faith when you share the gospel with them? And his, his response shocked me. He said, I can't tell you the percentage because you can't divide by zero. By comparison, in China, we saw so many students come to Christ on one campus in one year. It actually equaled more than our campus ministry in all of Western Europe combined. More people had come to Christ on one campus in China. And that statistic stuck with me and ultimately was one of the major factors that caused us to move. When I, was connect, I connected with our other Greek staff in the ministry and I shared this grandiose vision for pioneering a campus ministry in Athens, one of the workers literally said to me this. He said, welcome to Greece, the country that takes big dreams and turns them into little nothings. And on that day, a fire lit in my belly because I knew that fruitfulness wasn't determined by how hard we worked, the creativity of my strategies, or even my knowledge of the scriptures, because China had taught me that much. It was determined by whether or not I was willing to pray for God's mercy, to be ready when it came, and to try really hard not to screw it up. My hope was founded in the fact that the fruitlessness that. Uh, the fruitfulness that we had seen in just 10 short years was the culmination of 100 years of people praying and working, and that God could do it again. So we prayed that God would give us the courage to minister in these fruitless fields, not knowing if we were in year 3, year 33, or year 93. We took confidence that in the places that were already white for harvest, somebody before that had had to go and do the work of just moving rocks to create a field, and that moving rocks for the Lord is honorable work. So that's what we did for the first couple of years that we were there, as we tried to learn the language and and somehow uh, design a relevant campus ministry around non-believing, kind of uh, culturally. Orthodox students. There were many times I wanted to quit. Many times I just wanted to go back to China where I already knew the language and I already knew the culture and the ministry context. And many times I just wandered around in my neighborhood looking for answers in the form of trying to find apartments that our people needed, trying to uh, find how to have a legal residence visa so that we can stay, or for just a way to get internet service. Often asking, Lord, did you bring me here for this? Or did I make a big mistake in coming? All the while, we showed up to pioneer a campus ministry And only to find out that our first fall there, the students went on strike the first day of school in October and stayed on strike and locked out of their campus until past Easter of the next year. I tell you these stories because it helps to illustrate what happens in the lives of most of our full-time goers. We sometimes talk about the Great Commission and that the missionary life in some form of romantic tones, when in reality, the struggle to make a difference happens daily. Those on the field must deal with the same life and ministry challenges that each of us have in our own lives here in the U.S., but added the challenge of language and culture and immigration and politics and pandemics and all the other things that so often make things more difficult. But in the same way, the Grace Bible Church is committed to proclaim the gospel in our own community. We also have committed a good deal of resources, both in terms of people and in money, to help those who have limited access to the gospel to have a chance to understand and to respond to the invitation of Jesus for forgiveness and for relationship and for eternity. Because the reality is that our easy access to understanding and receiving and growing spiritually comes with a grand stewardship to take this opportunity to places without easy access. To be a part of the Great uh, Grace Bible Church as a believer in Jesus is to be a part of the Great Commission in one way or another. And this is where you start getting a little nervous. (laughs) Because our commitment as a church necessitates the involvement of all of its people. If we aren't proactive, we can come here Sunday after Sunday, sit uh, in this room comfortably, enjoying all of the things without knowing or without learning the plight of the global church and the unreached people. But I'm here to tell you that these harder places in the world, they're calling out to us. I'm here to tell you that hope for them survives. I'm here to tell you that the sacrifice is worth it. And God has given us the opportunity to carry the gospel to those who don't even know they need it. And this is the challenge as a church that sits at our feet. The title of my talk today is The Ands of Acts 1-8. And whenever I teach from this passage, I actually am taken back to some memories of when I was a student in my seminary days when Brian and I were students at Dallas Seminary and we were required to do this simple lesson on Acts 1-8. When we showed up to class, it was about observing Scripture. And our our, our, uh, professor there, he told us, he said, hey, take this passage home, and I want you to make as many observations about the passage as you can. And then he came back the next day of class, and he said, great, I'm glad you did that. I want you to go back, and I want you to make a lot more observations from the same passage. And then when we came back the third day, to our great surprise, he said, hey, I'm glad you did that, but you need to go back and have more observations about what this passage means. So after coming up with more than 100 observations from this passage in my uh, Bible study methods class in the 1990s, I would love to sneak one more in. I would want to remind us of the power of the little words in the scriptures and the implications that they have both on our ecclesiology and our missiology. And after the resurrection and giving the great commission, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he gave his last words before he ascended into heaven. So let's read together as Zach read part of it. I want to read a little bit more from Acts chapter 1, and I want to start in verse 6. It says this. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as as he went, Behold, two men stood uh, by them in white robes, and he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven uh, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Another thing that we learned when we were just students in seminary is to learn how to summarize a passage uh, in our own words. And thinking at the, uh, at the end of the Jesus film, if you've seen it, uh, just before Matthew's hat is blown off uh, by the ascension of Jesus into heaven, right? Uh, this is how I would summarize this passage into my own words. The setting is this, the disciples are surrounded uh, around Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, Lord, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And I think that what they were asking is, when is all of this tragedy going to stop? And Jesus said, that's not really your business to know. But I have given you some work to do. I want you to go near and I want you to go sort of far and I want you to go really far, and I want you to get it done. Jesus ascends, and the disciples are looking upward, a bit dumbfounded, and two angels appear, and they said, stop gazing and get busy but how can we understand what this passage means and how it applies to us? We're a church that actually takes the scriptures pretty literally, right? But we're not a church that takes it so literally that we all feel like our next application is to move to physical Jerusalem, okay? But surely the Lord's not just speaking to his disciples, but somehow he's speaking through his disciples to everyone who believes in his name. And this is where we get a little more nervous for me, this passage describes the scope of the work and it brings clarity to the Great Commission, how we need to somehow focus on our own Jerusalem and on our own Judea and Samaria and then focus on the end of the earth. Having been a missions uh, and strategy pastor here at Grace for a number of years, I've thought about this passage a lot and how we can be committed to these different audiences, making sure that we have some clear uh, equipping opportunities and next steps for each one. We need to understand that Acts 1-8 really for us is kind of a framework on how we can hang different strategies uh, to reach all of these uh, different audiences. In the end, Grace Bible here at Grace Bible Church, we are not content merely to create programs on your behalf in which we hope that people will participate. We are far more committed than that. We are actually trying to orient every single person around their own personal calling, giving them a few categories uh, of audiences and helping to equip them to be more effective as disciple makers. And here's how I try to explain this passage to people. First off, Jesus tells us that I want you to go. Uh, be responsible for your Jerusalem. And what I think he means by this is that there are some people that live near you that are like you, right? We all live in our own neighborhoods and we all live in this, this community. And most often as a church and as a people, we tend to gravitate towards people that are just like us, people that live near us and people that are just like us. We think about uh, these words that we often talk about, live and learn and work and play, and these are just different spheres of our life. And you can read when I'm talking about the people that live down the street, the people that are our office, that are in our schools, in our classrooms, on our campus, people that have the same hobbies that we do or or, or venture with the same kids' teams, dance, football, all the different ways that we are. And God is telling us we need to pay attention to who uh, is around us, who we're living around, And we need to be faithful workers, faithful goers to preach the gospel to those that are around us. He says, as well, we have our own Judea and our own Samaria, and these are people that are near us, but oftentimes people that aren't just like us. And as we think about what it means in our own community to reach out uh, across our ethnic boundaries, as we think about uh, reaching the the 6,500 international students that God has sovereignly placed in our care just across the street and on our campus, professors and students from all different backgrounds, from all different places, many of whom have not had an opportunity to hear the gospel. We think about people that are not in our own social circles uh, because of one reason or another that we have to somehow cross a form of a cultural barrier to step across and and to move towards them. People that are in the deaf community, people with special needs, all kinds of different communities that are out that are on on our day-to-day journey, we may or may not ever bump against if we don't make a specific choice to do so. And people in different economic circumstances that we're in. And I'm not just talking rich to poor, I'm talking poor to rich and all that's in between. That we need to figure out how do we cross those different, social, and economic barriers that we can have meaningful relationships to share the gospel. And then, of course, in the end, we're talking about the end of the earth. And that's what today is about. As we talk about being willing to not just cross cultural boundaries, but physical borders and cultures to help people who don't have an opportunity to hear, to be able to hear the gospel people that are not near us nor like us. Of course, this is a bit of an academic way to cover the subject matter because the truth is that people land in multiple categories all the time, right? We may have in our neighborhood where we live a high-class Indian prof that's migrated to the U.S. uh, for work, and he lives down the street. He works on the campus, and he might have a son who has Down syndrome or some other form of special needs, But the reality is that we need to figure out a way for God to speak to us and give us a personal calling of who it is that he wants us to be able to reach out to with the gospel message. Separating people into these categories allows us to kind of bite-size our responsibilities for equipping and to challenge people into understanding what God is putting on your own heart, not just our church's programming. how do we stay committed to those who haven't heard, even when there's so much to be done locally? We must stay committed to what I've called the ands of Acts 1-8. Oftentimes, I think we can uh, read through Acts 1-8 casually and do one of two things. Sometimes we either uh, believe that maybe this verse no longer applies to me. Or we replace the ands with ors and say, if I'm just functioning in one of those places, that I don't have to be responsible for the other. But God has given us some ways to navigate those tensions. First, we need to understand the nature of God's threefold commission and committing ourselves to a strategy that makes each one of those things a priority simultaneously. By keeping the Great Commission in front of our church as the ultimate strategy, we create the right goal and the right focus for all three audiences to flourish. We focus on the Great Commission, and that forces us to cultivate evangelism and discipleship and church partnering and church planning as part of just the things that all of us are committed to. And these aren't overflow activities like we'll do those when we have time. These are actually the building blocks of a healthy and thriving and lasting and replicating church. When we're committed to the ends of Acts 1-8, we must do better believing that God wants each of us to help out uh, to fulfill the Great Commission in the corners of Bryan College Station, but also in the four corners of the earth, which leaves us with a few questions. What will be your contribution to the gospel frontier? Can you feel the shared responsibility that God has given us? Or have you simply subcontracted that work to other people? Have you ever considered if God might be asking you to deepen your commitment to the unreached through praying or giving or mobilizing or going? If he has been speaking to you, would you even be able to hear him. I'll close with a story which I hope highlights my point. When I was living overseas, I would travel back at least once a year uh, to Texas to recruit uh, more workers for the field. And I would always come back to our partnership campuses, making trips to uh, Rice University and uh, Texas University and uh, to TCU and uh, to Texas A&M Uh, University. And we would always have the same conversations over and over and over and over again. And as I sat down to challenge students, the conversation would almost always culminate in the same way. And the comment would be made, I could never do what you do. And I would spend the next 20 minutes talking about how missionaries were nobody special. Appointment after appointment, But one day, I had had enough. Sitting in the flag room at the MSC, at Texas A&M University, a young student reflexively told me this same phrase, and I paused just long enough to have a new answer pop into my head. And in a split second, there was clarity. I wasn't there to convince people to do what they didn't want to do, I was there to enable the right people to do what God had called them to do. So, with the kindest voice that I could possibly muster, in the midst of my frustration, I said, You know, you're probably right. (laughs) And after a pregnant pause, this student looked back at me and they asked, What do you mean? And I repeated my answer, and I said, you're probably right. You probably aren't suited to serve the Lord on the mission field, but I want to make sure you know why. It isn't because you haven't finished school, and it isn't because you picked a bad major. It isn't because your parents are going to freak out, and it's not because you don't know your Bible as well as you should. It isn't because you have the wrong skills or can't get along with people or haven't shared your faith enough. The reason that you aren't suited to help fulfill the Great Commission on the gospel frontier is because you just don't want to. To do what I'm recruiting people to do, it really takes one main thing. A life that is consecrated to the Lord and his purposes. That we would be compelled and controlled by Jesus to no longer live for ourselves. But for him who has died for us, and the rest of it comes a lot easier. Needless to say, that student never joined us overseas. (laughs) But I found a new gear that day. And I've never wanted to back down to challenge anybody who would listen about what it might be like to fulfill a God-sized dream. So here I am today, about 20-something years later, about a mile and a half from the flag room at the MSC, at Texas A&M University, and I'm still talking to the best and the brightest minds, asking you, have you replaced the ands of Acts 1-8 with oars, or have you simply just subcontracted that task to somebody else. Do you have a mindset that you want to be a minister of the gospel, no matter what it takes? I'm asking you if you considered the scope of the mission. Three billion people who have yet to have a chance to hear a presentation of the gospel, many of whom live within areas of the world that we have chosen to partner, as you can see reflected, on this screen. Can you honestly come before him today being confident enough in the calling that you're living out, having already put all options on the table, including maybe spending a few years overseas? Another way to ask this question is this. If the Lord made it clear that he wanted you to give up whatever plans you've made for your life to this point and find a place among the unreached to serve, In your heart, would you be willing to go? How clearly would God have to speak to you today to convince you of a new plan for your life? And somewhat convicting, has he spoken that clearly for the plan that I'm living out today? For many of you, maybe even for most of you, plans don't need to change. But for some there's an unsettling feeling that has crept into your mind and I want you to know this, I didn't put it there. (laughs) For while we prep and while we plan, almost half the world awaits the feet that carry good news. And let me be clear, God did not call you to go and save them by yourselves, but he called you to go or to pray or to send others who will tell them that Jesus did. Please know I don't doubt the depth of your resolve as a believer in Jesus. But I want to remind you of the scope of our collective responsibility. You're Jerusalem, people near you and like you, and your Judea and Samaria, people near you and not like you, and the ends of the earth, people that are neither near you nor like you. Can I give you some global next steps of action? Learn to pray for unbelievers. Take part in some of the activities that we're trying to foster good behaviors as a church. Jump into ministering to the international students that abound uh, in our town and at our campus. Go on one of the mission trips that everyone on stage so far has mentioned that we have prepared for your benefit and for your equipping. Serve in one of our global outreach opportunities. If you have questions, please snap a pic of this QR code and fill out a survey that will put you in contact with someone on our global outreach team for the opportunities that we have and ways that you can get involved. And I'm going to end with this. Some churches are started and led with merely a polite reference to the missional work of the Great Commission, while other churches are are founded upon it for their very existence. We here at Grace Bible Church are blessed to be part of a church that holds missions as one of its founding pillars. Will you join us through praying and giving and mobilizing or going until everyone everywhere gets a chance to hear? We know from Revelation five and seven, that God's great commission is going to be fulfilled. What's left to determine is who will say yes to his invitation to participate and whether or not our church will stay committed to this highest cause. Let's make a difference together. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you, and an opportunity stands before us. It's not one of your need of us, but it's our expression of our need for you and a need that is similar around the world. Are you willing, Father, to put within each of our hearts a calling that brings you the ultimate glory and provide the clarity that we need to take just the next step? I pray this morning that we wouldn't leave this room feeling guilty about what we haven't done, but to feel excited about what you've called us to do. And that we would give you the glory and the honor that you deserve forever and ever. Amen.